0: This program is presented by University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating for us in iTunes. Also, make sure to check out and subscribe to our YouTube original channel, UCTV Prime, available only on YouTube. This UCTV podcast is sponsored in part by Audible.com, your destination for the widest selection of digital audiobooks available, including many by guests you've seen on UCTV. Audible.com is offering UCTV viewers a free 30-day trial subscription and one free audiobook download. Just visit audibletrial.com UCTV to sign up. And thanks. Thank you so much and good morning. Thank you, George, for that very warm and spirited and humbling introduction. And thank you so much for your leadership. Let me uh, just greet all of you and welcome you, yes, to my alma mater and also to my congressional district. And I want to just uh, say to my mayor, Tom Bates, and my senator, Lonnie Hancock, it's wonderful to see you both. We've been friends for so many years. Uh, They are the heart and soul of the progressive movement in this community, and so I'm so delighted to see you here uh, at this really informative and and important conference. And we have the best elected officials in my congressional district, I think, in the world. So give them a round of applause. (laughs) Also, let me take a moment to thank the uh, Ford Foundation, the Institute of International Education, and Platinum Advisors for their uh, tremendous support. And, of course, uh, the University of California and this Institute of Governmental Studies, Study of Societal Issues, the Center for Latino Policy Research, and the Center for Latin American Studies. Uh, So many different departments and organizations have hosted this uh, important discussion. And so I just want to thank all of you and allowing us to have in this beautiful uh, Bonita Auditorium. It's just really uh, beautiful, and thank you all for being here. Also, to all of the distinguished panelists who have come, and all of you who are here, thanks for sharing so much your knowledge and expertise, uh, and shining a light, shining a light on a really complex um, and important issue. And now, uh, I just have to start by saying it's it's no secret that I've been uh, out front on trying to end this embargo against Cuba since 1977. It's been ineffective, it doesn't make any sense, and it's wrong, it's wrong. And so a large part of my work has been going down to Cuba, taking elected officials, organizations, labor unions, grassroots organizations, faith community leaders to Cuba. I think it's important for people to be able to make their own decision about what they think about um, Cuba. And it's very important that, and for me personally, this is risky, and I, of course doing it way back in the 70s, you know, and I was telling Tom and, and Lonnie earlier, I've been there 17 times. So I've seen Cuba through many, many, go through many transitions. But I tell you one thing, and I've met with many, many individuals, including the human rights community in Cuba and a variety of government officials uh, from day one. And I can tell you one thing, uh, barring none, everyone agrees that the embargo should be lifted, and Americans should have a right to travel, just as we have a right to travel to uh, Vietnam or uh, China. On February 3rd, 1962, that's over 50 years ago, President Kennedy announced the Cuba embargo, and I want to give you, read you a quote for the reason. He said, the subversive offensive of Sino-Soviet communism with which the government of Cuba is public aligned, that's why this embargo was imposed. And so we may all differ about our attitude toward Cuba and the Cuban government, but we can all agree that um, this communist threat to our nation is long gone. And I can remember when Secretary Cohen was Secretary of Defense toward the end of the uh, Clinton administration, he came out with a white paper which was quickly uh, put to rest that said Cuba poses no national security threat to the United States of America. And that was a Defense Department document. Uh, The Cuban embargo was meant to uh, destabilize the Castro government. And we have tried everything from uh, bullying our closest allies to bullying our very own citizens who want the freedom to travel to Cuba. Simply put, 50 years of trying something and failing, uh, that's long enough. (laughs) That's long enough. And again, um, as I said, I've been traveling to Cuba since I was a congressional staffer for my predecessor, Congressman Ron Dellums, who actually led, was probably one of the first members of Congress in the 70s to go down to Cuba um, subsequent to the revolution. So it's time now for our Cuba policy to move into the 21st century. It's time to give up uh, on a failed policy that really takes us no closer to our stated goals, if you agree with those goals. The embargo was intended to isolate Cuba and prevent the spread of communism in the Western Hemisphere. But I think you know we're seeing the reverse. The embargo is really isolating the United States. Every year, for 20 years, the United Nations passes a resolution condemning the Cuban embargo, and every year the margin has widened. Last year, I think we lost that vote by 186 to 2. All of Latin America, Nations in Asia, Africa, and Europe. Even the European Union has normalized relations with Cuba. And they are actively trading and investing in Cuba. And Cuba and California, let me just say the importance of our industry to California, the importance of our citizens being able to travel to Cuba, in fact, I just want to highlight one effort that I was very involved in now, and I'm very delighted that we were able to, through the Oakland Airport, finally get a license to take direct flights, direct charter flights from Oakland International Airport to Havana. That's a major deal for Northern California, major deal. And so every single nation in the world wants this embargo to end, and I think Californians want it to end also. there are few politicians on Capitol Hill who cannot agree to move us forward. Just a few. There are those in Congress, and you know who they are, (laughs) who are so blinded by their ideological hatred of Fidel Castro that they cannot see the changes that both in Cuba and here in the United States that are right before our eyes. No matter how many political and economic reforms that Havana enacts, They cannot seem to even accept the possibility of a positive change on the island. They can't even accept that possibility. They cannot accept any pathway forward between our two nations that includes any form of the Castro government. Let me share an example, a very recent example. A group of physicians from Cuba were invited to present a paper on some of their promising research, and I do a lot on HIV and AIDS at the recent International AIDS Conference in Washington, D.C., which I worked to lift the travel ban. We finally were able to host this conference after 22 years in the United States. And so I invited that group, led by Dr. Jorge Perez, the director of the Pedro Curie Tropical Medical Institute, through, um, though many know him as the Cuban AIDS doctor. Uh, I invited them to share their report with members of Congress on Capitol Hill. I mean, what's wrong with that? <laughs> so, of course, it was my hope that uh, we could recognize that there may be important research being conducted and promising treatments being developed to combat AIDS in Cuba, and recognize that AIDS is a scourge that knows no borders or politics, and we have a lot also to contribute as Americans. So, I thought this dialogue would would be very helpful. So, instead. Some of my colleagues responded by, if you can believe this, withdrawing their support for other AIDS initiatives not related to Cuba that I was involved in, I mean, that had I mean, no relationship to the embargo or to Cuba. It's unbelievable. I was, uh, of course, upset and dismayed by the response of my colleagues, uh, but I was pleased to see that there was such a positive reception to the Cuban delegation and a commitment by many members to continue to share this knowledge and cooperate in the fight against AIDS. I continue to hope that we will soon recognize that we have to work together to move beyond the old notions and the fears of a cold war (laughs) from a bygone era. I mean, this is really surreal. It's not to say that just a few Republicans on Capitol Hill are the only things standing in the way of the new era in um, U.S.-Cuba relations. There are other factors, but I must say that many in the Cuban community and Cuban-American community who are interested in Cuba politics were very excited, though, by the possibilities under the new Obama administration that he enacted early on. And I must say, early on, and and I have to share this with you, I was chair of the Black Caucus for the first two years of the uh, President Obama's, of the Obama administration. And I was very proud to have led what we call a CODEL, a Congressional Delegation, first one to Havana, to Cuba. And it was very interesting because I had a, a U.S. Air Force jet <laughs> land on at Jose Marti Airport. <laughs> and we were there for five or six days. Congressman Mike Honda, members of the, there were seven or eight of us. And it was a very interesting dynamic to watch where we had uh, Defense Department, U.S. State Department officials working with officials with the Cuban government. And of course, I had to run interference on some of the issues, but it worked out fine. And it was a historical visit. Of course, the the press tried to make something of it. We had the privilege to visit with. Uh, Raul Castro uh, talked a lot about what the issues were on both sides, and also a few of us had a chance to to go see Fidel and talk about, you know, his view of the world and where he thought U.S.-Cuba relations were going. But the press, uh, some fox, of course, took us on big time. But that was a major breakthrough, which allowed then for the meeting in, I believe it was in Trinidad, and the President to announce some new initiatives to ease the sanctions and to allow family travel uh, and remittances. And um, these efforts were met with literal dancing in the streets in Miami. Now, trade between the U.S. and Cuba flowed um, somewhat. Yes, we trade with Cuba, uh, very restrictive. And there are humanitarian ex- exceptions that allow food and medicine to be sold. Farmers in California do ship goods to Cuba, agricultural products, wine, There's the potential for much more trade and development of telecommunications networks and biomedical research. The administration made overtures to Havana, and a steady flow of small but significant reforms in Cuba created some real hope of the possibility of, at some point, normalizing relations in the near future. But, as you know, now we've seen much of that progress grind to a halt. The arrest of Alan Gross triggered a rapid hardening of positions on both sides. Now, if any of you are involved in trade in travel to Cuba, you know that getting licenses uh, to travel legally is harder and slower now, and more American companies are facing fines from the Office of Foreign Assets Control. It's incredibly unfortunate that a single man has become the pawn in this gamesmanship. <laughs> between our two nations, and I continue to encourage the Cuban government to release Mr. Gross, who I have visited on two occasions on humanitarian grounds. But I'll also encourage this administration to move our relationship forward. Now, let me uh, conclude by just saying um, we know that Cuba is far from a perfect nation, but America has still not achieved the more perfect union that we all have been fighting for all of our lives. And so we cannot rely on an outdated tactic of isolation and demagoguery to magically turn a nation to what we want to see in terms of a democracy after um, 50 years uh, of, you know, our boycotting and embargoing them. And so there are many who are just waiting for the passing of Fidel Castro a few years ago. That's what they waited for. He still, you know, is alive. Uh, But I tell you one thing, the American people and the Cuban people have begun to get to know each other again, face to face, person to person. This is not a time to uh, sink back to the tired old habits of the outdated Cold War. American citizens uh, who want to be ambassadors for the American ideal and to share their stories with the Cuban people should be allowed to do so and encouraged to do so, and we should end this embargo finally once and for all. And so I know you're going to have a productive discussion about that, and I really appreciate being able to be here with you today because it's an important foreign policy issue that very, very, few members of Congress or very few individuals really take on in a very serious way. So thank you again and have a wonderful day. Thank you.